So, hallelujah. You know, many years ago as an evangelist, um, I began to see what the beginning of our world is facing today. I want to say it was probably 15 years ago. And I just began to burden me and deal with me of the things that I could see. I mean, I, I can't tell you, I could predict everything that's happening today. But I saw the beginnings of the pressure upon God's people, the persecution and the uh, the burdens that people were wrestling with in, in the increase of sin and, and just the increase of burdens and weights upon people. And I was agonizing over that. And I was just really spent some time in prayer. And I said, God, how is the church going to deal with everything that's coming? And I think this message should be, you know, updated today. I created a message from this text. I don't know where it is, so I, I, I created a new message from this text uh, um, this week. And I said, God, how's the church going to deal with all, all the things that are going to come against it uh, and all the things that we see coming down the road? And you could see the weariness and the burdens upon people. As I travel around, preached in different churches, I saw the weight to upon some people. And that was just the beginning. It's 15 years ago or so. And one day as I was uh, reading my daily Bible reading, I came across this text and God said, this is what I'm going to do. I am going to strengthen my people. I thought, oh, wow, that's, you know, that's perfect. Hallelujah. Then God says, I'm going to strengthen my people. So in other words, he says, uh, we know from the last days, you know, scripture and prophecy that things will get worse, that there are things coming, that the Bible says that men's hearts will fail them for fear when they see the things that are coming upon the land. We know that intense times, perilous times will come. That means dangerous uh, and, and the wickedness of humanity. People would be uh, brutal and people with, would be without natural affection. And so we know there's things coming. But God says, I am going to strengthen my people. And so this was the text I read. And God just began to show me some things out of this text. And I thought it would be worth uh, preaching this morning. Let's go ahead and read Zechariah 10 verse 1. Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain. Grass in the field for everyone. For the idols speak delusion. The diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people wind their way like sheep. They are in trouble because there is no shepherd. My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds. For the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah. And will make them as his royal horse in the battle. From him comes the cornerstone. From him the tent peg. From him the battle bowl. From him every ruler together. They shall be like mighty men. Who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be put to shame. I will strengthen the house of Judah. And I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside, for I am the Lord their God, and I will hear them. Those of Ephraim shall be like a mighty man, and their hearts shall rejoice as with wine.
Yes, their children shall uh, see it and be glad. Their hearts shall rejoice in the Lord. I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them, and they shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children. They shall return. Verse 12. So I will strengthen them in the Lord, and they shall walk up and down in his name, says the Lord. And so I want to begin this morning and talk about the last day's context of strengthening. In verse 1, it says, Ask the Lord for rain. In the time of the latter rain, the Lord will make flashing clouds. He will give them showers of rain, grass in the field for everyone. Now, if you understand latter rain, he's talking about agriculturally there. But we know that there's a latter rain of outpouring of God's spirit in the last days. And God says, ask for rain. In the time of the latter rain. And so what God is saying that we have to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Ghost. God has promised in his word that he would pour out his spirit in the last days. But at the same time, we have to pray for that outpouring. He wants us involved in that. He wants us engaged in that as the church. So it sounds repetitive. Ask the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. So there may be a time for it, but he said we still need to ask God for that. And so God has promised last day's revival, but he's promised us also or encouraged us to contend for that. And so it says because there was a time of lies, confusion, and a lack of direction. In verse 2, for the idols speak delusion the diviners envision lies and tell false dreams. They comfort in vain. Therefore, the people win their way like sheep. They're in trouble because there is no shepherd. So it talks about a time of great lies and deception. Uh, you know, Second Thessalonians talks about uh, that there would be great deception, you know, in, in the earth uh, and that people would be falling for. They comfort people in vain, you know, encouraging people today. In their sin, that it's okay to do that. Uh, they just be who you are, and and comforting people falsely uh, in their sins. And it says, therefore, the people win their way like sheep. Zechariah ten verse two in the New Living Translation says, household gods give worthless advice, fortune tellers predict only lies. And interpreters of dreams pronounce falsehoods that give no comfort. So my people are wandering like lost sheep. They are attacked because they have no shepherd. And so God is talking about a people that are that are attacked and under all kinds of persecution and assault because they have no shepherd. Matthew 9, 36 through 38. When Jesus saw the multitudes, it says he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest truly is plentiful, but the labors are few. Therefore, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out labors into the harvest. The reason we go on outreaches and preach the gospel is because there are sheep. We can see people walking by. We see the empty empty look in their eyes. We see the lack of direction and just moving from one thing to another, but they have no direction in their lives. And we are called to preach the gospel to them. And, and that is a form of being a shepherd to try to direct them to the right way in a world that's full of lies and confusion. You know, just watching the crowd before a football game, you see that some are saved. I'm sure they, you know, they give us high fives and 
You know, thank you for what you're doing. But you see other people are just walking aimlessly. They're just kind of going on uh, to the next uh, the next thing in their lives, the next stimulation. And, and we are those laborers, amen, that bring direction to people. Whether they respond or not, we can't control that. That's in the hands of God and the Holy Ghost. But we do come and bring direction that there's hope for their lives, that God can change their lives, that, that they can uh, come to know Jesus Christ uh, and be delivered of their sins and have direction. When, when we got saved in the uh, latter part of the Jesus movement was was that maybe you have no direction for your life. That, that was the big thing that we preached back in the day because uh, the 60s were just people kind of aimlessly walking through life, getting high, kind of doing whatever. And then you get a little older, you know, that's kind of cool maybe in your teens, but you get a little older and you realize, hey, you're hitting your mid-20s. You don't know what you're doing. You're just kind of wandering aimlessly. You begin to look for some kind of purpose. And people look for purpose in drugs and, and all kinds of experiences, and they didn't find it. And so Jesus tapped into that society of the time and people that were lost and directionless and and God began to pour out his spirit and do a powerful thing and millions of people got saved all over the United States and all over the world see one of the observations that Jesus sees that Jesus sees about his people is that they are weary he said because they are weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd that, that word weary in the greek means to have one's strength relaxed to be enfeebled through exhaustion, to grow weak, to grow weary, to be tired out, to become faint-hearted. And as a result of seeing people in his weakened condition, Jesus' desire is to strengthen his people. In our text, it says that God is angry with the false shepherds. But in verse 3, it says, My anger is kindled against the shepherds, and I will punish the goat herds, for the Lord of hosts will visit his flock, the house of Judah, and will make them as his royal horse in the battle. So he's talking about imparting strength to, to his people. He's angry at the directionlessness that they're bringing to that society of the day. And he's saying, I'm going to visit my people. I'm going to do something in them. Uh, I'm going to make them stronger. Uh, I'm going to give them strength uh, that they can fight this battle that they're facing. Isaiah 40, 29 through 31 says, uh, He gives power to the weak, and to those who have no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and the young men shall utterly fall. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. So it says something important there. It says that they will renew their strength. How many of you know that we, even as believers, we can get weary? We can get exhausted. God's people in a busy church, people get weary, people get exhausted. But the blessing is, is you have a supernatural power source where God says he will increase strength to you. Amen. And that when he does see you weary, he says you can renew your strength. He increases strength and renews strength. So we can come to God during these times and and God can help us. And his desire always is to strengthen people in their faith and their relationship with him. In Isaiah 41, verses 9 and 10, You whom I've taken from the ends of the earth and called from the farthest regions and said to you, You are my servant. I have chosen you and have not cast you away. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. 
I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so God's speaking to his people uh, and he understands there are times uh, they become weary. There's times they run out of their natural energy and he promises them. He says, uh, I will strengthen you. I will uphold you by my righteous right hand. And when we are weary, when we are exhausted, when we come to the end of our own strength, that we can tap into something supernatural where we say, God, I need your strength. I don't have strength to get through this. I need your strength to get me through. See, God knows how the world can drain us and his desire is to strengthen us through his word. This is a lot even in preaching the gospel. In Acts chapter 18, verses 22 and 23, it talks about the Apostle Paul. It says, when he had landed at Caesarea and got up and greeted the church, he went down to Antioch, and after he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to the region of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. And so it says one of the things that Paul did as he visited different churches and different people is he strengthened them in their faith. He built them up. He established them. Luke 22, verses 41 through 43, Jesus is, is facing the cross. You know, we talked this morning in Sunday school about we all need prayer. And Jesus asked for prayer during this time. But it says that as he faced the cross, he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw. And he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. You know, Jesus, he's praying, he's facing the cross, he's facing something that un is unimaginable. And so what does he need? He needs strength. An angel came down and strengthened him to face the cross, so gave him something a little extra to get down the road in life. This means that God wants to strengthen us in every way. Colossians 1, 10 and 11, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing him being fruitful in every good work and increasing the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. So the Bible you know, encourages us to be strengthened in the things of God. Because I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be honest, listen, I've been living for God for 42 years. There's times you're going to be exhausted. There's times you're going to be tapped out, man. You just, you just come to the end of yourself. You don't feel very spiritual. You feel, you feel just kind of empty. And, and what you need is a touch from God and say, God, I just need you to strengthen me. And I believe that's a good word for this. This church is a busy church. Thank God for that, that we're doing things for God. But you will encounter times where you will become weary. You will become exhausted. And it's in those times that God really does want to reach down and strengthen your life. Now, God strengthens the disadvantage. This is the great part of the story. When I, when, I, when I read this many years ago, it just spoke to me. In verse 5, it says, They shall be like mighty men who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They shall fight because the Lord is with them. And the riders on horses shall be put to shame. Now, I want you to get a mental picture of what's going on here. There's a battle going on. Maybe you've seen a movie sometime where there's been the the battle, you know, in the in Europe, in the open fields, and 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 the soldiers are coming on horses, and they've got swords, uh, 
And then there's these poor slobs on the ground, you know, and they just come by and they just they're just hacking them left and right, man, because they're on horses. And it says that uh, they're at a disadvantage because this guy's on a horse. He can swing down. And, and these people not only are on the ground, but it says who tread down their enemies in the mire of the streets in the battle. They're they're standing on mire. Now, we know mire can be, um, you know, mud, blood, urine. In other words, it's not a firm footing. It's slippery ground. And so not only are you at an inferior advantage, but you're on the ground and, and your feet are slipping and you're trying to fight people on horses. How I many you know sometimes life feels like that? You know, you're trying to fight an uphill battle. You're trying to fight things that seem superior. They're overwhelming you. But the great thing about this story is it says the riders on horses shall be put to shame. So in other words, when God strengthens us, uh, he helps us to overcome superior odds. That's the great thing about the Christian life is that when we do feel overwhelmed, when we do feel, you know, like, hey, I'm fighting against something I can't, you know, I can't fight against. It's, it's, it's too powerful for me. Paul gives us this picture when he talks about his thorn in the flesh. In 2 Corinthians 12, verses 7 through 10, he says, Unless I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, my, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me, Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities and reproaches and needs and persecutions and distresses for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. So Paul is, you know, he's crying out to God. If you ever, you know, really thought about or studied this out, it doesn't mean he pleaded with the Lord three times, you know, three different little things to pray. He probably had three seasons of fasting and prayer. And and I, I really thank God that God doesn't tell us what Paul's thorn in the flesh was. Everybody says, Oh, it was a, it was a demon. Uh, you know, it was his eyes. Uh, it was this. Uh, you talk to so many different people. Everybody's got their own speculation about what his thorn in the flesh was. But we don't know what it is. And I'm glad he didn't tell us what it is. Because it tells us uh, that no matter what it is, he says, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. And so when God talks about us being strong, he's not being talking about us being strong in ourselves. Uh, he's talking about us being strong in him. And even in spite of weakness, uh, in spite of the things that the overwhelming odds, the riders on horses, he says, my strength is made perfect in that arena. I can tread down the, the, the riders on horses, even when you're trying to slip, uh, you know, and trying to find your footing in life. He says, I can defeat those things in your life through my power, not your power. See, God's always trying to find a way to express himself in our limitations. Um, I was reading an old book and I thought about this part. I was actually looking for it through, a, through another quote, which I didn't find, but it's uh, Francis Frangipani is talking about Luke chapter 2, where if you know the story, the family forgets Jesus, you know, say, how did they forget Jesus? Well, families, 
you know, back then they traveled. There were probably 40 or 50 of them traveling. And they thought, oh, Jesus, he's with he's with so-and-so in the back, you know. And so it wasn't like they left just their family and, hey, got down the road. Gee, where's Jesus? You know, so it wasn't like that. And uh, so anyway, they, they, they forget him. They come back and find him. And, and he says in Luke 2, 49 through 51, he says, and he said to them, why did you seek me? Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? But they did not understand the statement which he spoke to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. But his mother kept all these things in their hearts. So if you know this story, uh, you know, they come back. Hey, how come, you know, they're all freaked out because they lost him. He said, didn't you know I should be about my father's business? But he says that statement. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject to them. So here's he's probably, I don't know, 12 or something like that at the time. He's very young. But he still, even though he had this knowledge, he had this wisdom where he could debate with the Pharisees and everything, he subjected himself to Joseph and Mary. Francis Frank Pony said, this is an astonishing thought. Jesus, Lord of heaven, in subjection to a lowly carpenter and his wife. Yet if we think about it, is it not equally astonishing that the rule of Christ and his church is, at least in part, subject to our initiatives? He submits himself to our schedules and our service times. He works within the confinements of our weakness and temperaments. He has chosen to hide his glory not from us, but in us. And then in order to perfect our character, he subjects himself to our initiatives of hunger and faith. Have you thought about that, that, that you know, we say we're going to have church at 11 o'clock on Sunday morning and Jesus shows up every time. You know, it's almost like, Jesus, we're meeting with you on Sunday at 11 o'clock. He says, OK, I'll be there. This is the son of God. Have you, th- have you thought about how he subjects himself to us, to our limitations? Uh, we're going to be back at, at, at six o'clock. OK, I'll be there. We're going to be on the outreach on Saturday, 1.30. Okay, I'll be there too. And it's not so much that, you know, we understand that, you know, he's, you know, he wants us to have time frames and things, but but he subjects himself to our own limitations and 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 he's he's his desires to display himself in our lives, even in our own weaknesses and our own, you know, limited abilities. He still wants to wants to show himself strong. Being strengthened also means moving when God moves upon his people. He also moves on those who are away from him. Let me give you encouragement. If you have a backslidden family member, listen to this in verses six, eight, and nine. I will strengthen the house of Judah and I will save the house of Joseph. I will bring them back because I have mercy on them. They shall be as though I had not cast them aside for I am the Lord their God and will hear them. Verse 8, I will whistle for them and gather them, for I will redeem them. They shall increase as they once increased. I will sow them among the peoples, and they shall remember me in far countries. They shall live together with their children. They shall return. And so when God talks about strengthening his people, he's also talking about bringing people back who are away. He said, I'll whistle for them. Uh, verse 6, he says, I'll bring them back because I have mercy on them. And they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. They shall increase as they once increased. That God desires to bring people back. 
into the fellowship with himself that are away from the prodigal son. And we've, we've talked about this over and over, how God gives him the, the robe and the ring and the sandals that he desires to bless people that come back to him. It's a man, the Tucson church. It's actually, a, I should say, it's a whole family that was saved back in the 80s. I mean, this whole bunch of them got saved. Over the process of time, several members, actually, I think there was a point where all the family was backslidden. I'm talking about the whole family. And so, but this one particular man, this I want to focus on, is he backslid. And uh, during this time, his aunt got right with God. Very powerful testimony. She did a podcast with Pastor Warner and talked about her story. But this man was a firefighter, and he wound up in Europe. He wound up in England. He was in Poland for a while. Then he was in Romania as a firefighter. He was bound in his addictions. He was in an immoral relationship. And as members of his family began to get saved, his aunt got saved. His cousin got saved, which is the aunt's son, got saved out of horrible heroin addiction. I'm talking about just, you know, being addicted to the max and in and out of drug programs. He got saved. And so this guy's in Romania. He's kind of hearing about this and God begins to deal with him. And so he calls Pastor Warner and begins a you know a conversation. And then at one point, he moves from Romania back to Tucson. And he's in the Tucson church today. He was a firefighter. Uh, uh, God began to deal with him and several members of his family. He himself was just involved in adultery, divorced, all sorts of addictions. But he began to hear this call. And I began to think about this scripture. It says, I will whistle for them and gather them and I will redeem them. They will increase as they once increased. He heard the whistle of the shepherd. Amen. He heard the call of the shepherd in the far country, all the way in Romania. God's dealing with this man and bringing him back today. He's, he's engaged to be married. Amen. He's God's blessing his life. He's a part of ministry in the church. And you can just see the hand of God all over his life because he's increasing as he once increased. God brought him back and he said, uh, and um, verse six, it says, because uh, they shall be as though I had not cast them aside. So it's like, you know, perfect restoration. It's funny because we were, and Pastor Warner mentioned this in the sermon, you know, that a lot of people that come back that have been gone. He said, uh, you know, he said, you know, when people come back, it's like they never left. The relationship you have with them, all of a sudden that, that fellowship's restored. And, and then these are the same people you served God with years ago. And it's like they never left. You just kind of pick up where you left off and you keep on going for God. And, and you increase as you once increased. You heard the whistle. So never lose hope. No matter how far your family members may be away, they can hear that whistle. They can hear that whistle. No matter how lost they are in their sin. They can hear the whistle from God. Even when we as believers have failed in life, God will strengthen us. We have the story of Samson in Judges 16, 28 through 30. If you know the story that they've, he's finally compromised too many times with Delilah and the Philistines capture him and gouge out his eyes. They have it grinding in the mill. They call him out one day to, to display him in front of the Philistines when they're having all these you know, there's this big party together to mock Samson. And Samson calls out to God. 
Then Samson called the Lord, saying, O Lord God, remember me, I pray. Strengthen me, I pray, just this once, O God, that I may with one blow take vengeance on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson took hold of the two middle pillars which supported the temple, and he braced himself against them, one on his right and the other on his left. Then Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. And he pushed with all his might. And the temple fell on the Lord's uh, and all the people who were in it. Uh, so the dead that he killed at his death were more than he had killed in his life. So here's Samson. He's, you know, he's compromised. He's, uh, God's judged him because of his compromise. Uh, but he says, God, strengthen me, I pray, just this one time. And it says that he killed more people in that in that destruction of the temple that he did throughout everything else he did, all of his other exploits. Somebody said Samson did his greatest work with his second chance. Samson did his greatest work with his second chance. I want to end this morning talking about being strengthened is for those who press the battle. You know, it says that God will give strength to those who turn back the battle at the gate. Amen. That when we are pressing the battle, there is, you know, when you're serving God intensely, you're going to get tired. <laughs> Tell you right now, you're going to get exhausted. I pioneered churches, uh, been a working pastor. I know what it is to just exist on very little sleep. And, and sometimes you feel like you're walking in a fog. You know, you just, you don't feel like you're, you just, you just kind of functioning. But God sees that. It says he will give strength to those who turn the battle to the gate. In the Pioneer Rally in Jacksonville a couple weeks ago, Pastor Terry Haynes was preaching, and he was mentioned about pressing on the things of God, and he mentioned Gideon. And Gideon is pursuing the Midianites with his 300 men. In Judges chapter 8, verse 4, it says, When Gideon came to the Jordan, he and the 300 men who were with him crossed over, exhausted, but still in pursuit. And he kind of keyed on that. I think he used the King James says, fainting, yet still in pursuit. And so that's where we find ourselves many times in, in serving God, is that we're exhausted, but still in pursuit. We're tired, we're weary, but we're still pursuing the things of God. We're still turning the battle to the gate. There are times that we, sometimes we just simply need rest. There's nothing wrong with getting some rest every once in a while. I was amazed at that scripture in Psalm 23 where it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. It says, He makes me lie down. You ever have God make you lie down sometimes? <laughs> You're so tired, you just like, you know, you don't go into a nap. You go into a coma. You know what I mean? And so uh, it's like you just, you're just exhausted and suddenly you just, uh, you just like the disciples, you know, G, you know, Jesus tell them to pray, but they just, you know, they're just lying down, man. They're just exhausted. And so they they get that strength that they need. When Nehemiah was working to rebuild the temple, there were these characters, Sambalat and Tobiah, who were constantly attacking them, falsely accusing them, doing everything to hinder what God was doing. And Nehemiah reaches a point of exasperation. And he says, for they were, this is Nehemiah 6, verse 9, for they are all trying to make us afraid, saying their hands will be weakened in the work and it will not be done. Now, therefore, O God, strengthen my hands. So here's a man of God. He's on fire for God. He has a vision for God. He's rebuilding the temple. He's doing something for God. 
but he comes to a place where he says, God, I have the vision. There's people making me afraid. They're attacking me. God, you're going to have to strengthen me to get through this. And every one of us will come to that point. If you do anything for God, you're going to come to a place where, God, you're going to have to strengthen me. I don't have the strength to go on. I can't in my own energy, in my own physical body and power. I cannot go on. It has to be. You're going to have to strengthen me. thought about Daniel as God's people were in bondage in Babylon. He has a vision of Jesus. And um, let's go ahead and read Daniel 10, 4 through 9. It says, Now on the 24th day of the first month, as I was by the side of the great river that is the Tigris, I lifted my eyes and looked, and behold, a certain man clothed in linen, whose waist was girded with gold of Euphaz. His body was like beryl, his face like the appearance of lightning, his eyes like torches of fire. This is, this is Jesus, his arms and feet like burnished bronze in color, and the sound of his words like a voice of a multitude. And I, Daniel, alone saw the vision, for the men who were with me did not see the vision, but a great terror fell upon them, so that they fled to hide themselves. Therefore I was left alone when I saw this great vision, and no strength remained in me, for my vigor was turned into frailty in me, and I retained no strength. Yet I heard the sound of his words, and while I heard the sound of his words, I was in a deep sleep on my face with my face to the ground. So Daniel has this vision of Jesus, and he's like he's like Isaiah. Woe is me, I am undone. I am undone because uh, I'm a man of unclean lips, and I come from a people of unclean lips. He said, no strength remained in me. My vigor was turned to frailty, and I retained no strength. And listen to what it says in Daniel 10. 18 and 19, when Jesus begins to speak to him. Then again, the one having the likeness of a man touched me and strengthened me. And he said, O man, greatly beloved, fear not, peace to you. Be strong, yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened and said, Lord, let my Lord speak, for you have strengthened me. And so we feel overwhelmed sometimes by life by the battles of life, sometimes by our own uh, carnality, our own lack of spirituality. We feel like, man, I just, I don't feel weak. I don't feel strong in God. When I feel the presence of God, I just feel, you know, man, I just feel like I'm so unworthy. And But yet there's a voice of the Savior that says, uh, that touches us and strengthens us. It says, peace to you, be strong. Yes, be strong. So when he spoke to me, I was strengthened. And said, let my Lord speak for you have strengthened me. I believe that's what God wants to do this morning. This is what I felt with this message. There's people here that you just need to be strengthened. You just need to let God help you. I have a book. I'll close with this. Gary Thomas. It's called Pure Pleasure. And he was talking about enjoying God through all the struggles of life. And he talks about enjoying our mission as believers. He says, in in many ways, mission provides one of the highest pleasures of life. Watching God's kingdom advance and knowing that God has used you to gain this sacred piece of ground gives a pleasure that few things can match. I take pleasure in the hope that God remains always on the move. Yes, people still get cancer, lose their jobs, or watch loved ones die. Soul-shaking realities in a fallen world. But God is on the move, always. Teens who only months before were blinded by their narcissism take up the cross and become active agents of change. 
Married couples on the brink of divorce learn how to love and wa- become walking testimonies of God's power to reconcile hearts. Addicts who live for years the bitter taste of defeat and despair now walk in joyous victory and happy hope. Oh, how beautiful, how wonderful, how glorious when we see God on the move. And see, this is this is what we see is that all of us have had issues where we've tried to overcome in our own strength and we can't do it. But there is a God in heaven who can and will strengthen you. He will strengthen you. Let's bow our heads this morning. Jesus said, come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And God understands the, you know, he's speaking to people who are trying to work their way through life in their own strength. And he says, I'll give you rest. And I will strengthen you. There's so many scriptures that talks about God strengthening his people and finding strength in God. I couldn't exhaust them this morning. But I really did feel that just as I was praying this week that there are people here and you get hey because of your life, your busy work schedule, heavy burdens at work, responsibilities at home. Problems at home sometimes, family conflicts, uh, and then you have the ministry at the church that requires your efforts and your energy. And sometimes we're left very weak and exhausted. But God's heart for his people as he looks down upon his sheep is to strengthen them. And even when you feel like you're at a disadvantage, God wants to strengthen your life. Before we go any further in this service, is there anyone here today you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? You're away from God. You don't know him. You've never been saved. You've never been born again. Or perhaps you're backslidden this morning and you're away from God. Maybe you hear the whistle. Maybe you hear, amen, the call to get right with him. And that's you today. You're unsaved. You're backslidden. You need Jesus Christ. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. God wants to help you today. He wants to move in your life. Would there be one here this morning? You're not right with God. Slip up your hand. Put it right back down. Church, today I really felt, once again, there's some people here, man. You're functioning. You're faithful. But, man, you just need God to strengthen. You need God to help you. It's like you're trying to find some extra hours for sleep. You're trying to find some extra energy to do this. And, and you just feel, man, at the end of yourself. And I think God wants to touch people at this altar today. He really wants to help you and strengthen you and just give you something that maybe you need some rest here and there or whatever. But I believe beyond just the rest, God wants to strengthen you to do what he's called you to do and help you and just give you that, uh, that confirmation in your spirit that, hey, man, I'm, I'm going to give strength to those who turn the battle to the gate. I'm going to help you in this. You're not in this alone. So these altars are open if you'd like to come and pray.